Well, uh, we're going to continue on in our series this morning about um, talking about the nature of God and, and really trying to connect with who the Lord is. Um, a couple weeks ago, actually three weeks ago now, I guess I should say four weeks ago now because this is our fourth Sunday, we, we began this series with, uh, with, with James chapter 2, verse 13. And James chapter 2, verse 13 is just quite simply, mercy triumphs over judgment. And one of the things that we've, that we've hopefully captured over the last three weeks is is that God's heart toward us is a heart of love and it's a heart of mercy. And, and one of the things that we, that we see here when James writes that mercy triumphs over judgment, one of the things we see is that God has a preference. I hope that's one of the things that we've, we've captured over the last three weeks, is that God has a preference for how things are done. God has, a, God has a preference for how He relates to people. A lot of times we've grown up with mindsets that say, or, or we've, we've created mindsets and theologies and ideas about God, and those mindsets and, and ideologies about God go something like this. God would rather, He would rather judge. He would rather punish. He would, he would rather hit the smite button than, than extend mercy. And one of the things I hope we've seen in the last three weeks is that's really not who the Lord is at all. He's actually full of love, full of grace, full of compassion. He's kind, He's caring, and He's the kind of God who would first rather extend mercy and then the second time he would rather extend mercy and then the hundredth time he would still rather extend hi bonnie that was odd um he would still rather extend mercy okay this is one of those times where i wish we had a video archive and not just the audio archive but it's who the lord is he would rather extend mercy he's he's kind you know and we and andrea even talked about this a little bit last night some of us have this this concept of God that he's, you know, he's, he's either A, detached and uncaring, or he's attached, angry, ticked off, and ready to kick butt, you know? None of those are entirely true. If we build from anything other than the foundation of God is love, we have built upon a faulty foundation that will eventually lead us to error. Here's how that works. Um, we talk about this in the, in the office and among the staff a lot of times, and we, we use this analogy in a lot of different settings, but it's entirely applicable here we talk about trajectory everybody know what trajectory is if i talk about trajectory it's it's about aiming and and hitting at what you aim okay let's 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 just uh start with this concept of of god is love it is the kingdom concept for understanding the true nature of god building on anything other than uh uh and uh, not just a concept but an encounter with god is love if we build on anything else than that our trajectory will eventually get off far enough that we end up in error. It works like this. Um, God is love is like this. It, foundationally speaking, it's like this. It's the straight line, okay? This is God is love. His kingdom path is this straight line. It is built upon God is love. If I build upon anything else, if I build upon God is a judge who sometimes loves, if I have a revelation of God's judgment first before I have a revelation of God's perfect love for me, then rather than walking this straight line, what I do is I walk, it's like two degrees, okay? So imagine a straight line. Now imagine coming off maybe two degrees. And I walk a little bit like this. Two degrees off over the course of a short period of time is not a big deal, right? In fact, when we, when we look at it in terms of like uh, human growth and, and human development, think of children, Okay? When little kids smart off to their parents because they're two years old, a lot of times we laugh because it's cute, right? Take that out to 13 and 14 years. How cute is it? 
See, this is what happens when we build upon foundations other than God is love. If we build upon God is judge who sometimes loves, what we do is we, we, just, we just kick the trajectory off by about two, two degrees. And then if we continue on in our, Christian, in our Christian life, we eventually just... And we wonder why it doesn't work. It's because we've missed the trajectory. Let me tell you, trajectory is incredibly important. If you mess it up at the beginning, you will only continue to be further messed up. And the only course, the only course correction, the only course correction is repentance. Start back over. Get in contact with the God who is love. Get back down to that base foundation. Any other thing will eventually lead us into error. <clears throat> That's what we've been talking about. I want to add some things to that today. A couple of things. See, a lot of us have grown up uh, in the church long enough, or maybe you've just grown up around the church, and because you grew up in the church or around the church, you, you've heard us talk about God as love. And, and one of the things that happens is, when, when you grow up in this kind of, of culture, you, you, can, you, can, you can grab that little, that little scripture. It's 1 John 4, 8. God is love. You can grab that scripture, and you can memorize it, Okay? And I'm actually for Bible memorization. I think it's good. You put good stuff in the heart, good stuff will come out. But you can memorize the scripture. And here's the issue. If we, if we, if we know, if we know, quotations here, okay? Can we do this together? If we know, if we know God is love, if we know it as head knowledge, apart from a life-altering encounter with the God who is love, if we know him, if we just know it apart from an experience, an encounter, then we don't really know him. See, the God of the Bible was never, ever, he, he never intended to know anyone outside of, the, outside of experiential knowledge. He, he, never, he never intended for us to know him as though we know a math problem or as though we know a history book. He never, he never, intended, he never intended our relationship to him, with him to be historical facts. Facts that we could, scientific facts, historical facts, things that we, could, that we could collect, we could write them down on paper, we can put them in our pocket, we can take them out. See, here's the problem. You can know God is love apart from an experience. And the real problem is this. If you know God is love apart from a life-altering experience with the God who is love, you can talk about God is love. You can, you can lead home groups about God is love. You can preach sermons about God is love. You can do all these things, but apart from encountering the God is love, you will eventually run into a problem because this is why. Because all of us in the room, everyone, everyone, we live from the fountains of our experience. And eventually the fountains of our experience will override the head knowledge and it will override, it will override whatever it is we think we believe. It will, experiential knowledge always trumps, always trumps scientific fact that we have in our pocket. And so one of the things I wanted to do this morning is I wanted, I want to provoke us toward an encounter with the God of love. Not just, not, just, not just giving us more Bible facts or Bible trivia. If, if, our, if our walk with Jesus is only ever Bible facts and Bible trivia, we will come off the path because experience will dictate it to us what we believe. Every time. Um, here's how that works. If I, if I know that God is love apart from an encounter, it looks like this. We would never, satis- we would never be satisfied for this kind of, of knowledge or revelation or relationship with God in any other domain. 
Um, for instance, Justin is my friend, okay? Um, if my friendship with Justin, imagine if my friendship with Justin looked like this. Um, I know that Justin has a beard. I know that Justin likes to drink coffee. I know that Justin likes to get up early in the morning. And I know that Justin drives a small gray Toyota pickup truck. I know Justin. How hollow is that? How, how, how hollow is that? Imagine, imagine being married or being in a romantic relationship where the relationship was based upon facts. You know, I know my wife. I know that Heather has innumerable freckles. I know that Heather likes to go out and eat good food. I know that Heather was the leading scorer on her soccer team in high school. You probably, yes, probably didn't know that, did you? Now I know all these things, I know all these facts, so I know Heather. How, how hollow is that? It's the same thing with the Lord. A lot of times, a lot of times we, get, we get deceived into thinking we know Him because we know facts about Him rather than having an encounter with Him. See, here's the deal. I can know that God is a loving Father, but if my experiences, if I haven't had an experience with the loving Father, then my experiences in life will override that fact. It will override that knowledge. And it will be overridden based upon the experience that I've had with my own Father. It will be overridden and override, override, overwritten, thank you, I speak for a living. It will be overwritten with the experiences that I've had with other people's fathers. It will be overwritten with, with the encounters that I have with my bosses, and pretty soon, whatever head knowledge I had about the Lord will be, will be trumped by the experiences that I've had in real life. This is why encounter is such a big deal. This is why experiencing the Lord is such a big deal. Um, <clears throat> absent of experience, absent of living a lifestyle of encounter and experience, one of two things will happen to us. Either we will, in, either we will create increasingly complex theologies about who the Lord is, or we become increasingly trite. Here's what I mean. In a world where we don't experience the Lord, or in a, in, a, in, a, in a relationship where I have head knowledge about the Lord, but it is largely largely unvalidated by experience. In a world where, where my relationship with God is just scientific facts, it's just, it's just answers on a, on a test. Outside of experiencing Him, I will, I will do one of two things. I will, I will either, one create an increasingly complicated theology. And the reason, here's why we'll do that. We need an increasingly complicated theology when we don't encounter him to explain why we believe all of these things in our head, but none of it is existent in my life. So one of two things happen. I will create an increasingly complicated theology about why God is good, God is love, and God is kind, yet I experience none of his goodness, feel none of his love, and have never never encountered his kindness. I need, an, I need a complicated theology to explain that scenario. I need a complicated theology to explain why God, God loves people and he hates disease, yet, yet sickness is everywhere. And, and the only time I need really, complicated, really complicated theologies like this is when I live outside of experience with him. So that's one thing that will happen. The other side of the coin is this. If I'm not encountering the Lord, then I become the kind of person who becomes increasingly trite, 
and petty, and we have these little one-liners that, that just to take the pressure off. You know what I'm talking about? They're just we, we, we create these, we say these things, they mean nothing. Um, and, and it's things like this. Maybe you guys have said it, or maybe someone said it to you. Um, people say things like, there's a reason for everything that happens. You know, we're faced, we're faced, with, a, we're faced with a situation, and the situation, the, the, the situation causes us to question our, our, our facts because we, we're not grounded in experience with them. And so, you know, out just comes this thing, well, everything happens for a reason. Can I tell you something? Everything doesn't happen for a reason. Lots of terrible things happen, and none of it has any reason other than we live in a fallen world where bad stuff happens all the time. See, one of the things we want to do is we want to, we want to, we want to put it, we feel like we've got to put it back underneath like God's lordship, you know? When, when a baby dies early and we, and we go up to the mom and dad and go, you know, well, everything happens for a reason. Can I tell you, that's not comforting. It's, it's, it's not comforting for a couple reasons. Number one, it's not true. Everything doesn't happen for a reason. And number two, he's not the God who kills babies. You know? I mean, come on. And so I, I love what Pastor Ray has written in one of his blogs. He wrote about God gives, God, uh, everything happens for a reason. He wrote about this. God, everything doesn't happen for a reason, but God gives reason to everything that happens. You know? We need, we need an, and that only comes by experiencing him. Like if you have head knowledge apart from an encounter with him, what you'll end up with is answers bigger than experiences. And when you have answers bigger than experiences, you will eventually end up in, in a crisis of faith and your trajectory will end up going skew and that will eventually lead you into error. It's a big deal. People will also say things like this. Maybe you've heard it. God is good all the time. Can I tell you something? That's true. That's actually true. But a lot of times, it's just the little mantra that we, that we say. And the only reason we say it is we're hoping that it's true. And, we're, and the only reason we're hoping it's true is because we've not encountered the God who is good. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's a big deal. Like, like if you've got things in your head that you haven't experienced in reality with the Lord, it ain't real. And if you have things in your head that you think you know about the Lord that you haven't encountered with Him, it will be overwritten by your experiences. This is why we have to be people who are hungry and pursuant of the God who wants to come and be near. This is why we have a banner that says we, that we value the presence of God. This is, why, this is why nearly every single Sunday morning with a band and the prayer team, I'm telling them that He's here. This is why nearly every single Sunday morning I, I'm, you know, I'm talking to the staff and, and not just to the staff, but I'm talking to myself and I'm letting, letting everyone in the room know that when Jesus said, if a couple of you guys get together and pray in my name, I'm there with you. That isn't a joke. It's real. And if we don't encounter that, then our experiences will override it. We will end up in faith crisis and we will end up with answers bigger than our experiences and that is not Christianity. People say... I've actually not heard this one, but apparently P. Ray says this one was around in the 70s. Right, Ray? Apparently people in the 70s who believed in the Lord would come up to you and say things, well, they would say things like this, well, just praise God anyway. You know, like something really awful happens and they would just go, well, we'll praise God anyway. Why? The reason they would, the reason they would say that is because their experience with the Lord didn't match up with what they knew in their head to be true about Him. I want to read a scripture to you. It just underlines the fact that we have to be people who encounter Him. 
It's Mark chapter 3, 13 through 15. I, I, I am becoming a big, this is one of my, this is my passage. Through all my, any, any passages on the screen is my passage, by the way, okay? Because I, I realize I say that every Sunday. I go, man, this is my, pa-, yeah. If it's on the screen, it's my passage. This is Mark 3, 13 through 15. This is when Jesus is, is gathering the 12 to him, okay? So it's right at the beginning of his ministry, and he's beginning to gather them, okay? Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed the 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Why is the, the H not there? That's so strange. To preach the gospel. Pre- Dang, Raymond, that was incredible. Y'all give it up for Raymond. Okay, he designate, designated them apostles that they might be with him. Underline that if you've got a pen or a pencil or a marker or a highlighter. And that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. What's the point? Here's what I need everyone to realize. I need everyone in the room to realize that it is experience with Jesus that orders your life. Here's what Jesus is doing. He goes up on the mountainside. He he calls out to the 12 that he wants to him. He brings them up with him. And look, look, verse 14, you could spend the next month meditating on verse 14 and the depths of it, you wouldn't even begin to scratch it. This is huge. Verse 14, he gathers the ones that he wants. He, he appointed them, designating them apostles that they might be with him and that he might send them out and preach. See, he gathers them to himself and he appoints them apostles, which means he gives them a life purpose. He gives them a calling. He gives them vision. He gives them direction. Now, Let's do a little math here. Where does vision, purpose, calling, and direction come from? It's on the screen. It comes from Jesus. If you go looking for vision, direction, calling, and purpose in any other place than Jesus, you will end up being deceived. Okay? Vision, calling, direction, and purpose comes from Jesus. They're with him. He gives them vision, purpose, direction, and calling. He says, you guys are going to be apostles. Apostles means sent out ones. He says, you're going to be like me. And how does, he, how does he make them apostles? It's in verse 14. By being with him. It's not about knowing that you're an apostle. It's not about knowing that you have, that you have life of a calling or purpose. That, you know, here's the deal. Knowing your life calling, knowing your life vision, knowing your purpose, and having some direction from the Lord, while that's good and I'm desperately for it and I'm searching for it more and more every day, that's only the beginning step. Knowing that part, apart from an experience with Jesus along the way, you'll not get there. We have to experience Jesus. You guys realize this? That when Jesus called these 12, he was calling hillbilly fishermen. See, 12 hillbilly fishermen changed the planet. Why did, how did 12 hillbilly fishermen change the planet? Their association with Jesus. It's experience with Jesus. They, it wasn't that they had heard stories about him. You know, it wasn't that, you know, Jesus had been in Capernaum and they lived on the outskirts of Capernaum and they heard some story about how Jesus went in and set somebody free from demons. It wasn't that they, that they were in Nazareth and Jesus came home and, and while he was preaching, he healed a few people and they heard a story about it and, it and it energized their life. No, it was that they had personal encounter with Jesus. Anything short of personal encounter with Jesus, we won't make it. And here's the deal, and this is what I love. 
he takes 12 hillbilly fishermen. I mean, I, I don't think we can gather this quite enough, okay? 12 hillbilly fishermen, okay? Way more hillbilly than us. Way more hillbilly than Greene County. We're talking, we're talking Harlan County. Estill, uh, where's Matt Rogers at? Estill County, bro. He went to Estill County. He went to the hills and the hollers. He went to Harlan County. He went to Pike County. And he found, he found the most hillbilly guys he could. Completely. Okay? He, he drug a few guys out of the coal mine. And he, and he brought them to his team. And there's something about transformation that only happens by being with Jesus. I'm telling you, you get with Jesus, you can change the world. Here's the deal. You can, you can, you can know in your head that you're called to be a world changer. Apart from encountering Jesus, it'll never happen. This is why it's so important for us. Knowing that God is love, that's, that, that's good, but it, it doesn't work until you experience the God of love. Answers are good, but they're wholly insufficient apart from experiencing the answer. Education is good, but apart from the knowledge that comes from being with Jesus, education is a thin veneer, it looks good on the outside. It has zero structural value. I want to take this another step. I want to take this another step. You guys realize that Saul was killing Christians until he experienced Jesus. What's the difference between Saul, the Christian killer, and Paul, the Christian maker? It's an encounter with Jesus. Not only, not only this, and this is, this is, I've been meditating on this one for a while this week. You realize that Saul, he wasn't just killing Christians and persecuting the church, but he was killing the home team, and while he was killing the home team, he thought that he was doing God a favor. He, like, he was throwing stones, like, in the head, cranium cracked, blood all the street, and he would go home that night going, well, I did a good job, and he would sleep in the confidence of knowing or at least feeling as though he had done God a favor. Okay, now what do we have here? Saul, incredibly brilliant. Maybe, maybe the smartest guy in the New Testament, okay? Incredibly brilliant. Murderer. Completely, fully deceived. Totally deceived. He thinks he's doing God a favor. Encounter with Jesus, Saul becomes Paul, the Christian maker. And I love what the Lord does. Like one encounter with Jesus, it can so radically change your life. You know, Jesus didn't just change the trajectory of Paul. It wasn't just like course correction. But there was such a change that he went from being Saul to being Paul. And, and, and it, it required a name change. Now, I love this, okay? Check this out. Saul is a Hebrew name, and it means prayed for or borrowed, okay? It's a Hebrew name. It means prayed for or borrowed. He becomes Paul. Paul is a Latin or Greek name, and it means little. No, wait, check this, though. It is a prophetic word on his life, okay? I want you to see this. One encounter with Jesus so profoundly changed the man. He went from being Saul of the Hebrews to being Paul of the Greeks. Paul, Paul's a Latin name, and you know where Paul died? Paul died in Rome. It was a prophetic word over his life, and he was, the Lord was saying, you have come from the Hebrews, and I am pointing you to the Greeks and to the Latins and to the Romans and to the, and to the Gentile. 
It was a prophetic word over his life from the very beginning, and it happened with encounter with Jesus. I want to tell you, church, this church is being called. This church is being called to encounter with Jesus. This church, we have one calling bigger than any other, and it's to have encounters. We, We need to have more encounters than we have answers. We need to have encounters that are so frequent, so huge, so life-altering, and yes, even so bizarre that we actually end up having more questions than we do answers. See, in a, in a vacuum where, where we don't encounter the Lord, we have more answers than we have questions. I'm telling you, when you encounter the Lord, you end up with more questions than you have answers, and that's where we want to be. And so this is a huge deal. What changes a guy from being a Christian killer to being a, to being a Christian maker? So I have a question for the church this morning, for you. The question is this, are we going to continue to be satisfied with answers apart from experience? Are we going to be the kind of church that is continually satisfied with answers apart from experience? Um, I, I love what Bill Johnson says. Bill Johnson says this, he says that, that um, it says that the Bible is an invitation to experience. Everything we read in the Bible is an invitation to experience. I also love what Todd Hunter says. Todd Hunter says this. He says that the Bible is the menu. It's not the meal. That's a good word. See, I like both of those because they're calling us into experience. They're calling us into experience. Um, I grew up in the church, and from an early age, I, I knew conceptually that God was love, but it wasn't until I was about <clears throat> probably 19, and I, I can't even remember the, the exact age. I just, I just know where I was. I'm, I'm, I'm not one of those, I'm not one of those, you know there's two kinds of people. There's those people who can tell you like the exact date and how old they were and the month and where they lived and everything that was happening when stuff happened. I'm not like that at all. You know, people are like, well, I got saved and, you know, May 18th, 1978, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit on October 22nd, 1982, and it was, you know, I, I'm not that way. So, I, but I think it was around like 18, 20, I don't know, it was somewhere in there, okay? So I, I've grown up in the church knowing conceptually that God is love, but it wasn't until I was about 19 or 20 that I experienced the God of love. And when I experienced the God of love, the only way I can tell you is we were in, um, we were in North Carolina, and we were in a barn at Mahesh and Bonnie Shabda's church, and it, it, it was just a barn, okay? They had a church, but then they had this barn. And it was, the barn was smaller than this room. And it was on a Friday night meeting, and worship was awesome. I'd never really experienced worship like that. But then after the meeting, they did some ministry. And then uh, Bonnie, uh, Bonnie Shavda comes up to us, and she just begins to lay hands on us. And there's a group of us. You know, I'm, I'm like 18 or 19. And then, and then there's like all my cousins and my sister and Heather's there. And, and it's just a group of us there. And Bonnie comes over and puts her hands on us. And she just begins to pray for me, and she begins to prophesy. And, in, and I can't even tell you everything that happened, because about, I don't know, like 19 seconds into it, something hit me. And it, was, it, it felt like, it felt like um, any of you guys sleep with a down comforter? See, I sleep with a down comforter even in July. We turn the house to 62, I get under the comforter, because I like heavy covers. It felt like somebody threw a double-thick down comforter off the Empire State Building, and this like brick of a pillow hit me 
and I was completely in the, I was in the floor. Now, when you're 19, 18, 19, 20, I don't know, somewhere in there, when you're like 19 years old, it's not cool to be the crying guy on the floor, <laughs> especially when all your peers are around you. But it didn't even matter because it felt like this blanket of, and that's all I can tell you. I, I can't even describe it more than that, other than a blanket of love fell upon me. And it, it, it didn't, it, the strange thing about it is when I go back in that memory, the blanket, it got heavier. The, the, I couldn't get up. I tried to move. I couldn't move. The blanket just kept getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And, and in the moment, I had a vision. It was just a quick vision. And I had a vision of Jesus. And, and Jesus said to me, he said to me two things. He says, he says, Adam, you're my brother and I love you. And then, and then I heard a voice behind Jesus. And the voice said, Adam, you're my son and I love you. And it was this, the blanket got heavier. And I couldn't get up. And, and, and from that moment, you know, I got up. After about an hour, I got up. And, and from that moment on, the prophetic was just, it just flowed in my life. I didn't even know what it was. I got up and I started telling my sister and Josh and Lucy, and her, I started prophesying to everyone, and I, and I just prophesied to them. And every single thing I prophesied came to pass in about five years. I didn't even know what the prophetic ministry was. I didn't know what I was doing. I just started having these visions. It happened in that, in that moment, and it was in a moment of encountering the love of God. It wasn't, it wasn't theory anymore. It wasn't veneer. It was, it was post and beam construction that cannot be taken apart. Shortly after that, uh, there, was a, there was a pretty big revival that was going on in, in Toronto. And we went up to, to see that. Now, this is, this is I, I can't remember how long ago, how, many, how long this was after that. It may have been a year. It may have been four years. I don't remember, but it felt like the same season. You know what I'm talking about? So we go up, and, and we're talking... I, I had, at this point in my life, I had never experienced this. Um, I, I knew that I was called into the ministry. I can remember being four years old and knowing that I, was, that I belonged to the Lord and I was called into ministry. And I realized that what little bit of rebellion I had, I didn't have a lot, but I had some rebellion in my high school years. The little bit of rebellion I had in my high school years came from knowing that I was called to ministry but hating the pictures of ministry that were all around me. I was, this is literally the dialogue that was in my head. It's like, God, I love you, but if, if I have to be like that guy, then I'm, I'm out. I, I cannot be like that guy. And I'm thinking here of, of preachers that I've known, okay? Really judgmental. Mm. Okay, so we're in Toronto, and I'm still very much, I've had an encounter with the love of God, but my character is still very flawed in that direction. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm really a divided person. That's all I know to tell you. On the ins- there's this huge part of me on the inside that knows that I'm called, I belong to the Lord, I'm, just, I'm supposed to be a servant, I'm supposed to lay my life down for Him. And there's even a huge part of me that wants to do that, and then there's this other part of me that wants no part of it because I hate the examples that are out there. It's like, if you're telling me I have to put on a three-piece suit and tell lies, I don't want to do it. I mean, that was my mindset, you know? That's what I felt about preachers. And so I went into this room, and I, it was me and Heather and her parents, and as soon as we stepped into this, this it's like a big warehouse in Toronto, and as soon as we stepped in there, it was like 4,000 people, okay? Now, first off, I've, I've ne- I, at that point in my life, small town guy, I'd never been in a room with 4,000 people. And it was 4,000 people who were doing this. We got there a little late and worship was started. And, and it was 4,000 people singing like just to the highest heavens with arms up. And I, I, I do, I physically remember this. We walked, I walked through that door and it was as though I passed through another atmosphere i can't even describe it it was as though i walked into a cloud like um it was like no holy spirit 
Holy Spirit. You, you, could, you could rock in between it, you know? And I remember going in, and we was just like in this bubble, and I got about four steps in there, and I knew immediately that this was going to rock me, you know? You just... We finally find a spot. We're all sitting there, and worship's going on, and it's in, in the middle of worship. The Lord reminds me that I'm called, and I said, Lord, if I can be like these guys, I'll do it. You know, if I was like, if I can be like these guys, I'll do it. And really what I realized was I was responding to the anointing that was in the room. And it was, it was this cry in my heart. I didn't want to be an unanointed three-piece suit, be nice to everybody because that's your job. Fake dude, you know? And um, so I remember I was just a greater surrender in my own life, just even in worship. And, and about halfway through worship, I remember that my, my legs just started shaking. I tried to quit. I tried to get my legs to quit shaking. I just couldn't get my legs to quit shaking. And at the end of the meeting, they had, it's, it's really bizarre. They would, you know, they would pray for people. It was kind of what they were known for. And so 4,000 people would receive ministry. And they had, you know, it's, it's, it's a warehouse, but it's not big enough to give 4,000 people ministry like this. So they literally had duct tape on the carpet. And they had lines, you know, like you're at Disney World, you know, the things you walk through. They had lines painted out. And stand on line, and a prayer team would come. And standing on this line, the prayer team comes and, as soon as this little guy prays for me, I don't even know who this guy is, he prays for me. I, I'm in the floor again, and this giant heavy blanket is back on me, you know? And the more I try to get out from underneath the ba- blanket, because I'm still in that spot of, you know, this is really not cool. But the more I'm in this spot of trying to get out from underneath the blanket, the more I can't get away from the blanket. And so I become more convinced. And that comes through encounter. It comes through encounter. The other thing I want to tell you is that these kinds of encounters, uh, the, the personal encounters I've just described to you, these kinds of encounters, they're not uncommon, they're normal. Okay? Uh, you may be thinking, well, this is, that's weird. Well, yeah, it is kind of weird, but it's not, it's not unnormal weird, it's normal weird. Okay? Um, how's that for an oxymoron? It's normal weird. Can I tell you something? The, the only context, the only context that any of these things I've been describing to you are weird, the only context that they can be weird in is the context that goes like this. The context where I am unsure that God is present and in the room. If I don't really believe that Jesus' promise to me is true, that we're two or more gathered, that he is there with us, if I'm not convinced that God is real and that he's in the room at the moment, then everything I've been telling you is weird. But if I really believe that God is in the room, like he promised, then what I'm saying is, I believe that anything is possible. Because anywhere God is, anything is possible. And that's the, so, the, so the only mindset for any of these things I've been telling you, the only mindset that can exist where this stuff is weird, is the mindset that really is still rooted in unbelief and unsure that God is real and that he's present among us right now. They're actually very common. I, w- I want to read to you one short one uh, from kind of a famous dude. Uh, you guys have heard of Dwight Moody? I hope. I don't know. Has anybody in here heard of the guy? Kind of a famous guy, right? This is kind of short, but I want to I read it to you. Th- these are his own words. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. And I can only say that God revealed himself to me 
and I had a su- and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. That means he had to ask the Lord to quit. I went back to preaching. The sermons were not different. I didn't present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you, if you should give me all the world. It would be as small as the dust, as a piece of dust on the balance. I've actually got three more. They're just too long. See, these kinds of experiences, they're not uncommon. They're normal. They may be uncommon, but they're not weird. They're normal. This is normal church. See, God never, God never envisioned a system where we would know him apart from an experience with him. The other thing I would like to, to point out here is this. Even in my own testimony and, and Dwight Moody's experience, and there's a really good one from Charles Finney. I may just email it to you guys at some point because it's so good. But I, I, I'd like you to notice that there's a real connection between um, the encountering work of the Holy Spirit and the love of God. Uh, I, I want to tell you something, that the baptism of the Spirit is actually just a baptism of His love. See, a lot of times we get hung up on the language and we get all freaked out about, you know, oh, baptism in the Spirit, I don't know. No, here's the, here's the question I have for you this morning. Have you been baptized in His love? I want to read another scripture to you. This is, uh, this is from the, the Gospel of Luke. This is, God, this is Luke chapter 3, 21 through 22. This is Jesus' baptism. And when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And, he w- and as He was praying, heaven was open. Duh. And we are on it. I, Raymond, this is great. I love this. And the Holy Spirit descended on, descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Here's what I want you to notice. Number one, Jesus was baptized in water, but he wasn't just baptized in water on this day. This was the day where the Holy Spirit came upon him. It came upon him like a dove, and it didn't just come upon him, but it remained. All right? Up until this point, Jesus had done no miracles. Nothing. Jesus was baptized in water, and he was baptized in the Spirit. But he wasn't just baptized in water and the Spirit. He was baptized in his Father's love. You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You know, a lot of times we get hung up on language. But my question this morning is this. Have you been baptized in His love? See, here's the deal. It's experience with Jesus that puts the Scriptures into context. It's experience with Jesus that puts the Scriptures into context. A lot of times we want... A lot of times we want to put... A lot of times we want to put... A lot of times we want to work it the opposite, but I want to tell you right now, it's experience with Jesus that puts the Scriptures into context. Two disciples were on the road to Damascus, I mean, on the road to Emmaus after, after Jesus had been crucified, and they're really, they're really sad because they thought Jesus was the Messiah, and, you know, he got crucified and, and buried, and they didn't know that he had been resurrected, and so they're just kind of heartbroken, and they're walking home, and on the road to Emmaus, the resurrected Jesus comes and hangs out with them. Thing is, they don't know it's Jesus, Okay? His resurrected body looks different. So they didn't, they didn't realize it was Jesus. And Jesus walks them through the Scripture, and it is 
he walks them through the scripture and begins to begins to just change their minds and change their minds about the scripture then while he's sitting and breaking bread with them he reveals himself and at that moment it all falls into place see it's encounter with jesus that puts that gives the scriptures context this is why experience is such a big deal Not only that, but it's, it's a big deal because when I get baptized in his love, I get, I, get, I get released in his power. And in the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, the power is not military power. It is not, it is not guilt and manipulation. And in the kingdom of heaven, uh, power is not, is, it's not political And in the kingdom of heaven, power is not mind over matter. In the kingdom of heaven, power is experience with the love of God. That's where it all comes from. One of the things that we need is we need a life-altering encounter with the love of God. See, here's the deal. God is love, and when when He speaks His affections to you, they come upon you. And when his affections come upon you, his power comes upon you. And when his power comes upon you, the, the calling and life, vision, purpose, destiny, it's got the gasoline to make it happen. And at that point, anything is possible. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. I want to tell you that, that encountering his love breaks every single bondage. And encountering his love heals every disease. And encountering his love forgives every sin. It strengthens every doubt. His love is utterly convincing. His love blesses every curse. His love is freedom from all oppression. His love is light for the darkness. His love is a home for the orphan. His love is a family for the lonely. His love is the way in. His love is the way on. And that's the way it is forever. Amen? Amen. If you're on the ministry team this morning, why don't you why don't you come on up? <clears throat> I know it's hot. I'm hot. But can we deal with the heat even for a few more minutes so we could like encounter the Lord? Would that be all right? I, I don't want to do with, I don't want to do just theor, theoretical stuff. Um, yeah, here's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, we're just going to, um, we're going to release the love of God in the room. And if you want to, I want you to stand on up. It's a, this is a really big deal that we become people who have more encounter than pat answers the main reason that it's a big deal is because the lord really is putting out putting out the call for this church to be his message to campbellsville in central kentucky he really is putting out the call for this church to be 
his ambassadors. And um, it's really hard to give something away that you haven't received. That's just, not only is it difficult, it's, it's frustrating. Like when you're trying to, when you're trying to, when you're putting your hand in a pocket and trying to pull out what isn't there, that is the most frustrating thing ever. <coughs> Take it from me, I've been there and I've done it. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We don't normally do like altar call kind of stuff, but that's what it is to this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray, and after I pray, if you are, if you're, if you're the, if you're a person in the room this morning, and you you have you have never, you know for sure, you have never encountered the love of God, uh, love of God beyond just a head knowledge. Then I want you to come forward. We have a ministry team who really wants to to pray and release the love of God on on you. If, if you have if you have experienced the love of God, but it's just been a while, then a while is too long. We're called to live ongoing encounter i mean jesus said in in the gospel of john he says it's better that i leave okay he says it's better that i leave now imagine what could be better than him leaving i can't imagine this but right now this morning in the room we have it better than the 12 disciples who are with him every day that'll wreck your week (laughs) see but that truth apart from the encounter of that reality is only going to put us in faith crisis So I'm going to pray, and it's altar call Sunday. It, it's a time to encounter him. If, if you've never encountered the love of God in a meaningful and dramatic way, then we want you to come forward. If it's been a while, then a while is too long. Father, we love you this morning. And Father, we just say as a church that we want to be people of encounter, and we want to be people of experience. God, we don't want to live in the desert, but we want to live in the flourishing field of your presence. God, we want to we want to we want to know that we know, and we want to know by encounter. We want to know by experience. We want to have stories, God. We don't want to tell other people's stories. We want to live a life, and we want to have our own stories with you. If you're a person who's only told other people's stories, then this morning is for you, Father. We want to be people who 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 move in the confidence that comes from knowing that you are our Father, and we have your affections upon us. God, we want to move in the confidence of knowing that your affections aren't just an idea. They are a physical reality that can be felt just like the shirt that is on my back right now. God, we ask for more. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would increase in the room right now. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, Jesus. Amen.